Sim Racing Perspectives podcast for Sunday the 27th of May 2018. I'm your host Davy Jones and I'm here with Mike from Sim Racing 604. Hey everyone. And Alex from The Extra Mile. Hello guys. And today, thanks to Mike, we have a special guest. We have William Marsh from The Sim Racing Paddock. Hi, thanks for having me. You're welcome and thank you for joining Will. And before we start, um, for those of us who are gamers and have been gamers for a long time, before we begin, I'd like to take a moment to remember John Peter Bain, Total Biscuit, who influenced many of us who, who play games and particularly on PC. And we'd like to send our deepest condolences to his family and friends. Total Biscuit touched the lives of all of us and we'll miss him. And most of all, we'll remember him. So I just wanted to add that before we start. Yeah, so thank you so much for joining us, Will. It's uh, you know great to have you here. We've sort of messaged back and forth on a few comment threads and things like that, but it's uh, great to have the opportunity to uh, chat with you, man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, uh, it's one thing to really chat over text. It's another to actually hear the voice behind like uh, what's going on. And yeah, it's nice to officially meet you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So can you tell us and our listeners a bit about how you got into sim racing? Were you, uh, did you ever do any real racing or did you just come up through video games or how'd you sort of get into this? So the only real track experience I actually have, apart from one autocross and a Jaguar F-Type, was I did the Jim Russell karting school at Cinema Raceway, but that never really was something that I was actually brought up in. Uh, my family, we were really into the technology scene early on. Uh, my dad was in real estate and things like that. So we always had a couple computers in the house. Usually they were decent spec. And I actually got involved in sim racing from a really early age where I actually got started on Pyrus's NASCAR racing 1999 season, except I had no idea what the heck I was doing. I was only six years old at the time, and we just had the keyboard. So, yeah, I did start off as a keyboard sim racer, and I will wait the flame wars in the comments. But <laughs> I really did get that sense of enjoyment of actually feeling like you were driving something realistic. And in my case, it was more just enjoying hitting the wall and seeing the pit crew tearing off the broken components of the car. But... As I was growing up, I still had that passion for the racing games. And I kind of forgot about that sim racing element. But then around 2005, I got my first taste of real serious sim racing again, where I actually started off with Gran Turismo 3 for the PS2, which I ironically won in a crash team racing competition where it was this old video game store. They were holding this competition using crash team racing and second place allows you to win any uh, video game they had for sale. And I saw Gran Turismo three looked on the back, saw the Nissan GTR race cars. Like that looks pretty cool. And I uh, decided to take that as my prize popped it in and I was like, where's this been my whole life <laughs> and jumped in, bought the Mad Cats MC2 steering wheel, which is a piece of crap wheel, but hey, it's at least something. 
and I just sunk so many hours into it and developed that passion. And then I entered the rabbit hole with PC sim racing. I got into NASCAR sim racing, NASCAR 2003, uh, R Factor, and then eventually iRacing, Assetto Corsa, and just the rest is history. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's amazing the the impact that Gran Turismo had on our community. You know, it's one of the most hated on Sims far and away. But uh, at the same time, you know, yourself, myself, I know George Ortner, I know Billy Strange, all these guys, we really, really loved Gran Turismo back in the day. And it's just had such an impact on the community as a whole. So nice to hear it getting uh, more love from you as well, Will. Um, so how did you transition or, or how did you decide to get into having a YouTube channel and, and starting Sim Racing Paddock? So it's kind of funny. I had this passion for a long time of or just either starting a blog, YouTube channel or whatever. And back around 2013, I had a few very small attempts at just doing a for fun blog where I had uh, this one on Blogspot actually, and it was called checkered flag sim racing. Uh, it, I think you can still find it. Uh, and like, it's like CF sim racing.blogspot.com or something. I still left it up, but all, I think almost all of the images are dead on it, which is funny, but I did that. And then after a while, I got uh, basically poached by Inside Sim Racing, where they liked what I had, and then they were hiring for a blogger, so joined in, and I really enjoyed that, and it gave me a taste of what was going on behind the scenes, and then it was something where I felt a, I was faced with the dilemma whether I would go to uh, Washington and sort of take over that role that was eventually taken by John Sable or like take in a different direction. And at first I was really eager to do that. I was really eager to basically share my vision to a wide subscriber base. But as I was starting to go forward with that idea, I was noticing that the vision for ISR was not in line with what I was looking for. Uh, with Sim Racing Paddock, I was really looking to have a like by the community for the community mentality. And I'm still working on that, but it felt like ISR was heading more towards the marketing. It was heading a lot more towards like just really trying to appease the uh, advertisers, which there is a nice element when it is coming to advertising and marketing, but at the same time, you are really looking to have that element where you are putting the community first. It's sometimes why we see uh, big video games companies struggle. They're marketing towards the shareholders more toward gamers. And I felt that was something that was a little bit struggling with the I with ISR at the time. So ultimately I made a decision where like I wanted to do my own thing, I wanted to do my own thing. And also it was kind of out of fear in some ways because I felt that I had no experience with the YouTube channel. 
I had one video on Inside Sim Racing, and I think it's one of the most disliked on the entire channel. <laughs> so it didn't really go well. Uh, and I wanted to learn at my own pace because if I like, took over ISR in that way, I would have been tossed in the deep end, and I don't think I would have thrived as well as I did starting my own site and channel. Yeah, and it's it's obviously worked out for you. Um, you know, I, I enjoy your content a lot. I think you have one of the best channels in sim racing, and I really mean that. Thank you. And, and something I've noticed about you, Will, is you have legit fans. There's channels out there that, you know, have a lot of viewers and things like that, but it, people just go there and view and they leave. But you seem to have a following. Like, people actually, you know, enjoy your content and enjoy your personality, and I... I I think that's huge, I, and so I, it's like I said, it's obviously worked out for you. So, um, how did you choose the name Sim Racing Paddock? So uh, there's this one guy behind the scenes that he sort of is my business mentor, and I think I've mentioned him a couple times. Uh, his name's Alan, and he's also relatively in the racing scene for uh, my community, where he like his primary business is. He designs apparel for race car teams. So uh, largely, it's actually the crew shirts. So the shirts that the crew chief, the uh, different garage crew wears. So he actually makes those. And then he also does screen printing, things like that. And he is like been a family friend for about 17 years. And he was one of the main factors. He was like, Hey, well, I think you could do a good job building your own channel. So him and I were brainstorming while helping him actually start this motorsport themed cafe as a side job. So uh, basically, uh, when I initially left ISR, it was to help him build this cafe. And then we were brainstorming ideas on how uh we could build our own channel and uh it actually worked out really well and then he he actually helped come up with the name sim racing paddock uh where basically the paddock in the racing community is that area around the garage where all of the drivers congregate they meet up and they talk about their race they talk about their strategies and things like that. Obviously not too much. They don't want to gain a competitive edge on someone, but they really like it's where they gather together, talk and have a good time. So that was my vision for SRP from the beginning. That's cool. That's very cool. And uh, do you sort of have a long-term strategy for your channel? Like, uh, you know, again, you were involved with Inside Sim Racing, which is the go-to for many disciplines relating to racing and sim racing. And um, is there sort of, do you see Sim Racing Paddock as being perhaps the go-to for one specific thing? Or do you want it to grow into this massive, you know, um, sort of sim racing community or or what's your sort of bigger vision for sim racing paddock or are you just sort of um enjoying your time enjoying interacting with your fans and things like that what's what's sort of your vision there i definitely am wanting to see sim racing paddock grow into one of the sources for the community it's a tough thing because when i first started sim racing paddock i had 
the blog, I had the channel, and then I added in a forum, which isn't doing the best, but I, like, after a while, I felt like I was spreading myself too thin. I just felt like I was putting in all this effort, and at first, I wasn't getting many, div or I wasn't getting many returns from it. Uh, it took me a year and a half to gain my first thousand subscribers. And then since then, it's been a snowball effect. I've been uh, pumping out more quality content, but it's also been at the expense of the blog and the website. And it's a tough thing because on the flip side of that, uh, virtual R is like, uh, it used to be one of the main news sites and now it's getting extremely sporadic updates. And then uh, ISR in the state that it's in, it's like basically honestly lipping on life support because of the blog and the forums. Uh, there isn't as much as there used to be in the way of sim racing news sites. So mm. I think it is something I need to recapitalize on. It's something that I need to redevelop again and get that blog back up and running because it's something where uh, we need that news outlet again. We need that source for information because the channel is great. The channel is great for personality, as you mentioned. It's good for entertainment value, but also uh, in my mind, I have a passion for journalism and that is something that needs to be explored as well because there is the place for the entertainment. There is the place for the gamer muscles, the Jimmy Broadbents, the Billy Stranges and everything. But also there needs to be a source of information as well. There needs to be a solid place for people to go to and get their information and get their accurate information too. Because uh, it's one thing to jump around from place to place to place to place and gather the news or even like back in the day, there was pretend race cars, the worst place possible for news. And like, <laughs> that yeah. is its own rabbit hole and Most like its own yeah. brand of radical right wing propaganda news stuff. But bottom line, it comes down to we need to be able to entertain, but also inform properly. Yeah, exactly. And I think probably the go-to source for sim racing news for me right now is is the sim pit because uh sean cole of course every day at uh, it's 9 a.m pacific i don't know mm -hmm. what time it is over there in europe but um he does half an hour to an hour a day just on sim racing news and mm -hmm. and yeah i agree will that's you know one of the few sources we have for sim racing news but unfortunately because things happen in such rapid succession in the sim racing world sean only has maybe two to five minutes per sort of topic and uh i think there is definitely a gap for that uh deep dive that journalism as you as you call it uh for sim racing so uh, yeah i'd love to see more of that in the future definitely um and and talking about the sim pit um i know I've, I've seen you in the chat i try and jump on when i can i'm in the middle of a work day when when it's on but i do try and jump on and at least listen to it when i can but um you know you're there uh jimmy broadbent sometimes jumps into the chat and a few uh 
you know, Darren Ganji, a few other people jump into the chat. And it's kind of like a place where the sim racing content creators can sort of have a common forum and go to sort of hang out. How important do you think it is that we, um, you know, as content creators come together as a community, um, as opposed to just sort of being disparate entities? Well, the thing is that I subscribe to the thought that no man is an island where community is a very, very important element of life. It's an important part of gaming, sim racing, whatever you want. You usually don't see someone going to the track on a race weekend and never interacting with someone else. And I think Honestly, that's also part of why iRacing is successful, where iRacing, it really promotes that community element. It has the built-in chat. It has the uh, team functionality. It has the livery uh, editor, so you interact with people to make liveries and things like that. And also the forums. The forums a great place for community. So as humans, we are striving to have community. We are really wanting to have this companion, or this companionship, this camaraderie, and that's no stranger for us as content creators. We want to keep in touch with people. We want to show the community, or we want to show people that we're still a community. Like, sure, we do have these pedestals that we like to sit on, but at the same time. We're still human. We still want interaction with people. We still want to show that we are still racers. We like sure we have our own channels and outlets and whatever, but we are still passionate about racing and we're still passionate about community. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I think I love doing these podcasts with, uh, you know, guests like you and Davey and Alex, because, um, there is sort of a, a, a separation. Unfortunately, we don't have, well, I, I guess, like you mentioned, there's the iRacing chat and things like that. But, uh, you know, a common forum for us to talk about what things we're working on and, and uh, you know, passions we share, mods we found, videos we found, things like that. So it is cool to have that for sure. And I think also another reason that sim racing channels should come together is, if we can support each other and elevate the whole thing, we all benefit, right? Mm. Um, you know, like I have a small fraction of the subscribers that, let's say, Jimmy Broadbent, Gamer Muscle, uh, Will, yourself have. But if if we can get everybody to go up, everybody wins. The guys on the bottom win. The guys on top win. Why not support each other? That's the way I look at it. Like, yeah. I enjoy the... I enjoy the content other people put out, so I'm going to support it. I'm going to go there. I'm going to watch as much as I can. I'm going to click the like button. And, uh, yeah, I just wish everybody success. It just benefits the whole community. It really does. Yeah, that actually reminded me of an element where uh, when YouTube implemented their new monetization standards, uh, which it's – I understand why they did that. I do but I wish they would have grandfathered some of the other channels in where, for example, uh, one of the standards for that uh, monetization requirement was a minimum of 1,000 subscribers. Mm -hmm. And yes. mm -hmm. uh, one of the personalities uh, that's also a part of the Simpit, Mickey Hoyer, or Mitchie Hoyer, uh, he had about 750 subscribers. And 
he puts out great content and I know it's not his primary source of income, but for him to lose that monetization, to lose that reward for his videos, that's mm. a tough pill to swallow. So a few of us banded together and tried to uh, pitch and uh, get him up to that thousand uh, subscriber mark before we had that issue. But I really do like that sense of camaraderie in the community. Another instance it reminds me of is the tech YouTubers. Uh, there's a lot of the tech YouTubers in uh, the world. And it there was this one instance where, uh, if you ever heard of the channel Austin Evans. Yes. Uh, he has, yeah, he has a really good channel. But then there was that sort of tragedy where his fire. home burned down. Mm, I remember, uh, yeah. Yeah, and like he had his home burned down, he lost the majority of his products. So I remember there was a lot of the tech crew, uh, or the tech YouTubers, uh, uh, where there was Lewis from Unbox Therapy who played a huge role, and yeah. they helped him get a few new computers and get some more products to help him get back on his feet for the channel. So it's that sense of community that really I, it humanizes us in a way that is great. And I'd imagine if there was ever tragedy in someone in the community, and especially someone in like the YouTube scene, that sometimes they have their livelihood. Say like if Jimmy Broadbent had something and uh, he lost his stuff, I would really hope that some of us would feel like we would want to band together and help out a fellow racer. Yeah, Absolutely. somebody actually, sorry, yeah. Will, related to that, and I mentioned uh, Total Biscuit in the introduction, and somebody created a GoFundMe page for Total Biscuit's family. So exactly that, something like what you talked about just happened. So Yeah. And it's it's tough hearing about the loss of someone in that community where mm. like Total Biscuit was so influential for so many people. And absolutely it's mm. yeah, it's heartbreaking to hear about that. And I at least we as a community, like just lovers of games, lovers of like entertainment are able to band together and that's one of the great things about this day and age where we are thousands of miles away, That's but true. we're still able to come together as fellow humans and support people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well said. said. Mm. So Davey, I know you had some questions for yeah, Will as well. I do. Um, Will, you seem to cover quite a variety of Sims. So do you have a favorite racing game or racing type so for my favorite sim racing title i would have to say r factor 2 it's it's definitely raw unpolished i mean it's getting better and better but mm -hmm. i feel like it does the best job of communicating what the car is doing and also it punishes you for driving badly and rewards you for driving well. I've had races I've won in R Factor 2 because I can serve my tires better than the next guy. And other Sims, they are catching up to that level. For example, uh, 
iRacing, I've had a few awesome oval races. I still think R Factor 2 is king when it comes to that, but I like in terms of racing styles, my personal favorite actually has been open wheel lately. I've okay. really been enjoying the open wheel racing and also some GT, but it's kind of funny growing up. I was always passionate about the NASCAR disciplines. Mm -hmm. I was really into NASCAR growing up, partly because I I grew up in Oklahoma in the South and South USA. And I grew up really enjoying NASCAR because that was what my dad enjoyed. And I grew up uh, a Jeff Gordon fan, then jumped to Jimmy Johnson right now. It's kind of difficult to find a driver to support right now, but if I had to pick one, I'd pick Chase Elliott uh, because I was also a fan of Bill Elliott, but mm-hmm. I really was into NASCAR. I was into those NASCAR games. Like That's why I started my PC sim racing with NASCAR sim racing. Yeah. And uh, ultimately, it really drew me into that. And then as I was shifting into other titles i noticed that my taste in racing was changing i was gravitating more towards indycar i was gravitating more towards gt series and it's funny because as my tastes were shifting so did my sim racing uh uh, tastes shift yeah interesting and you seem to be doing a lot of streaming as well nowadays so how is that working out for you so sim all right streaming it is great for bringing it aren't it's great for like the bringing in community it's also mm-hmm. great for giving them a home per se like where as mentioned earlier there are some of the like devoted fans that come into every stream and they really enjoy it they really enjoy communicating and chatting with the community and that's one of the great things where like it allows for an unprecedented level of interaction because if you think about it 15 20 years ago nobody had an internet connection that would have ever been strong enough for streaming you just simply couldn't do that and at that day and age you relied on television or uh, pre-aired events and things like that so you never really got that sense of interaction with the invention of youtube and the invention of live streaming and twitch you really had a new level of interaction with content creators and community members yeah. and it's a blessing and a curse uh you get the raw interaction you get the raw emotion and Sometimes I feel I strive under that tingling feeling in the back of my head saying, this is live. This is live. Mm-hmm. You have to be careful with what you say and yeah. what you do. Uh, but also those mistakes, uh, I'll use the same word I used earlier. It humanizes you. It really, mm-hmm. I, with that margin of error, you'll notice that, for example, for me, I... I'm, I stammer, I stutter a bit, but that makes me human like everyone else. Yeah. And is it Twitch or YouTube you're, you've been focusing on, Will? 
It's been YouTube mainly. I did use a utility called Restream, which allowed me to stream simultaneously to YouTube and Twitch. Yeah. But in the past month or so, I decided that I should just gravitate more towards YouTube. Yeah. Uh, Twitch, Twitch, it's great for its own uses. uh, But for myself, for my personal needs, I found myself... Uh, benefiting more via YouTube. Okay, and I noted that Jimmy Broadbent noted the same. He started out with Twitch, but seems to be focusing on streaming on YouTube primarily now. Now, for the rest of this year, 2018 and beyond in sim racing, is there anything particular that you're most um, excited about? Or as a general question, what are you most excited about? I'm really excited about what I think is going to be ushering in the next generation for sim racing. So if you consider we have GTR three, we have uh, a set of course, competition. Uh, that word always yeah. Uh, trips me up. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, so we have uh, these new titles coming and I think that is going to usher in the next generation of sim racing where if you consider uh, with the early 2000s, we had F1 Challenge 9902. We had NASCAR Racing uh, 2003, Richard Burns Rally. Mm. And then uh, next generation, we had R-Factor. We had uh, GTR2, GT Legends. We had Netcar mm-hmm. Pro. Yep. And then in this uh, most recent generation, which for all intents and purposes started around 2012, uh, we had... I, uh, R Factor 2, mm-hmm. we had Assetto Corsa, we had the latest iteration of iRacing, we had Race Room Racing Experience, and all these titles, they're great, but they've been out to, for five to six years now, and yeah. it is logically time for that next generation to start. So we are seeing ACC and also GTR3, and I think that's going to really usher in this next generation of Sims and What's interesting, though, is that we're seeing a shift to the Unreal Engine. And it's kind of funny because so many people are posting saying, Unreal Engine, that means it's going to be arcade. And it's like, (laughs) Unreal Engine is for the visuals. It's not Mm -hmm. really too much for the underlying physics. Mm -hmm. Uh, The physics are determined by the person that is really uh, developing the physics. Unreal Engine is just the back end. It only will output what you put into it. So yeah. I am fully confident mm. we're going to see Sims that run well on Unreal Engine. And I'm excited to see that. Okay. And isn't it so that GTR3, that's the one that's been, that's been worked on by Simbin in the UK, is it so? Correct. And it's yeah. kind of funny, though, because... so. The Studio 397 and Simbin, they're run by two brothers. Uh, It's Chris Speed and Alan Speed. So I think it's going to be interesting because already with that announcement, uh, they're saying that it's going to be sort of cohabitating with development. So GTR 3, it's going to be arguably the more groundbreaking title. And then some of those updates are going to trickle down to Race Room. Okay. Or have I, sorry, have I made a mistake? 
isn't isn't it David Bell who's involved with GTR three, who's the brother of Ian Bell from Slightly Mad? Or am I mixing I things up? I don't believe so. I thought it was Alan Speed. Alan Speed. Oh, so you're right. Ex- yeah. You're, you're correct, Will. I beg your pardon. So you're right. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Because Alan I, Speed. I've talked they, with you, Chris Speed time to time on yes, Facebook. you're correct. And yeah, he's said it's like him and Alan yeah. working together. I'm mixing up the Bell Brothers and, and the, the Speed Brothers. <laughs> yes. Ah, I know what you mean. Anything else um, for this year and beyond you want to, to mention, Will? Uh, there's a lot that I'm excited for. I mm-hmm. mean, R Factor Two. They're gonna have the new, uh, uh, the new Le Mans themed pack with uh, the LMP2, LMP3 cars and GTE cars. Oh, when's I'm that really coming? excited. I didn't hear that. about that. When's that uh, coming? Uh, I think it should be coming out in maybe like the next few months i don't know for certain but okay they keep on showing more and more previews so i'm excited oh, really? to see where it comes out yeah and then also uh united racing design they're coming out with more content for r factor 2 soon uh which is exciting and uh then also it'll be interesting to see what happens with f1 2018 because f1 2018 is going to be coming out soon and it'll be interesting to see how they get around that halo constraint uh, yes. because I could just imagine there being huge backlash with uh, people complaining there's a big bar in the middle of my screen and mm-hmm. also if for the F1 series they implement VR support because when you drive with a halo car in yeah. VR it is significantly less intrusive yeah. But on a single monitor, it creates a huge problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I noticed uh, somebody looking at it. I think it was the Team um, VVV um, podcast, Alan Boyston's podcast, and they were talking about could they potentially make the Halo bar kind of uh, transparent. But then they said, well, that would be technically against the rules So because you have to simulate what the driver actually sees. So... You're right. You're right. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. Let's see how that how that goes down. So we're now into half an hour or so into the podcast, and we wanted to move on to some general topics, if if we could, as suggested by Mike. So, Mike, what would you like to start on first? Would you like to start talking about mods? Um, so yeah, we can just jump into a general mod discussion. I'm curious to hear from you, Alex. I know um, one of your favorite. Uh, mod packs of late has been the Need for Speed pack, and I know it got an update about a week ago. Um, just yeah. curious if you've had a chance to try that, and what your feelings are, or if you've tried any other exciting mods. Um, yeah, I really like the Need for Speed mod. Uh, one reason being that I generally prefer to drive road cars over race cars. Um, so that is uh, right up my alley, and I just love the older sports cars too for some reason. Maybe it's because what you grew up with kind of sticks with you and you want to drive that. But uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed the, the Need for Speed car pack. And uh, I really enjoyed Need for Speed back in the day, <laughs> the first one, uh, which seems to be a century ago, kind of. But um, yeah, with mods, it's a, it's a bit of a funny story. I recently 
really enjoy driving unusual mods um, and that goes both for cars and tracks. Mm. Um, we recently did a Sunday race with an RV, which is a trackside object, but has been uh, modded to work in Assetto Corsa. Uh, with a huge engine and it's just fun to throw it around and it's uh, fun to drive something uh, different every once in a while and especially something that you would never drive in real life obviously although that goes for most cars Um, but yeah I have not tried the latest update for the Need for Speed mod but um, I'm looking forward to trying it and we might actually use that for next Sunday's race okay Sunday Sub Showdown. Exactly. And I was going to mention on the mod front as well, Will, you were talking about that upcoming pack for R-Factor 2. Uh, what was the name of the pack? Uh, so uh, it's not an actual mod. It's the first party one where it's uh, the uh, Le Mans pack or oh, something like that for yeah. R-Factor 2. And uh, it's like the mix of the... I want to say it's the Lola LMP2, the Norma LMP3, and I think the only GTE card they confirmed so far is uh, the, or is it the Chevy or something like that? But yeah, they have, I think it's three GTE cars, one LMP2, one LMP3, but also I was mentioning it's uh, United Racing Design where they were one of the first uh, main of payware teams for R Factor 2. And they have, uh, it was their knockoff uh, EGT, which is the GTE. So they have that, mm-hmm. which that was the mod I actually drove. And then they have the uh, prototype mod and then the uh, DTM mod. That's and right. Mm-hmm. That, like, I've always heard good things about the prototype and DTM, but. Yeah, I think, for example, the Virtual Endurance Championship, the VEC, they use the uh, URD content for their endurance races. They do. So, Mm -hmm. uh, or they use, I think, like modified versions of them, which were modified with permission from the mod team. And it's like you have to own the content to run in those races, but it's slightly modified for balance of power reasons. And they... Like it's good content. For example, they have unconventional stuff. They had uh, that front wheel drive Nissan uh, GTR LP car. Exactly. Yeah, that's what um, Jimmy Broadbent was driving in the WEC. Hmm. Yeah, and it was interesting because they were trying like for this uh, running next weekend. Mm-hmm. They were trying to get this team together of YouTubers. So they were trying to get me involved. They were trying to get Gamer Muscle. Uh, I asked uh, Mike about it, and he said that I just schedule couldn't work. But ultimately, we couldn't get a team together. But it sounds like maybe next year we might try to get a a YouTuber car put together for the 24-hour. Oh, really? And the version... Sorry, Mike. The version of Le Mans that's coming from... And I guess that's from Studio 397 in the Netherlands, is it so? Uh, there is a 2017 spec version of Le yeah. Mans, but it's a third-party mod, actually. Ah. Uh, so 
it's like a uh yeah it's a third party mod that was actually it's a conversion from r factor one yeah and uh it was the r factor one version is the 2012 le mans configuration but they converted to r factor two update the assets app update the layout yeah. to match 2017 and yeah it's a good layout uh, oh this is of... sorry will go oh. ahead all right no. it's kind of good all right go ahead Oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, um, I saw you drive that, actually. I, I saw when you were live streaming with the Endurance Pack for R-Factor 2, and uh, I, I think overall you enjoyed it, but there were some problems with the AI, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? There were some minor problems. So uh, what happened somehow is that something in my R-Factor 2 install got corrupted or something, mm -hmm. and I was getting very, very weird frame rate issues. I was getting very weird issues and I was getting very weird AI stuttering, almost like I was driving in a high ping server and it was just jumpy, laggy, whatever. So I'm after that stream, I ended up having to uh, uninstall R Factor 2. I reinstalled it. Yeah. Uh, thank goodness I have Gigabit now. <laughs> but <laughs> I like, or else that would have taken me like five hours. But I ended up uh having that or issue fixed by reinstalling the title and that's a relief and it was funny though because with that issue i was getting 40 frames per second in the front street yep uh and that's with a 1080 ti on a single monitor mm -hmm. and then uh or no not 1080 ti standard 1080 so yep. i had a 1080 graphics card uh medium settings and I was getting 40 frames per second. Yeah. When I reinstalled the game, I got 90 or 90 to 100. So it's okay. like, okay, there was something wrong with the install, but at least that issue is resolved and yeah. uh, it actually worked well. And have but, you been yeah. using the, um, sorry, Will, have you been using the beta branch now or are you back on the main branch of the title? I'm back on the main branch of the title because yeah. uh, it's, the beta branch for R Factor 2 has been obsolete for about like three months now, I think. Yeah, because so, the new um, yeah. UI elements were added to the main version, wasn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, so the beta was mainly to test out the implementation for DirectX 11. That's true. Uh, so that was uh, the main beta for it. And then a mm. uh, few months ago, I believe it was, they made it stable and they I decided, okay, we're just going to continue off from the DX11 and make that the main branch. Yeah. So sure, you can access the beta still, but uh, for the latest content, you need the base uh, content. Yeah. You need to remove the beta branch and go with the main version. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. I ran into that issue one time when I was streaming and racing with Gamer Muscle. He was still on the beta branch and I was on the regular and yep. it was creating that conflict because the, be or the beta was out of date. So, Mike, but you yeah. wanted to talk about um, uh, Nikki's win at, as part of the Blancpain GT. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily need to be a, a long uh, no. topic for discussion, but just wanted to say congratulations to Nikki team. Always great to see somebody from the sim racing world kind of, uh, well, I guess he's originally from the racing world turned sim racing world. But, uh, yeah. yeah, always great to see him succeed. I 
think, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, that's two wins in a row for Nikki. So uh, congratulations to him and the whole Aston Martin crew. They're out there crushing mm -hmm. it. Great to see. Beautiful car. Yeah. And they yeah. seem to have... Oh, a, yes, it is. They seem to have a big drive now towards racing. And I actually thought he was driving for uh, AMR, but then when he won last weekend, it was for this R racing. I guess AMR is the is the branch of Aston Martin that's producing the racing cars, I suppose. Yeah, Aston Martin yeah. Racing. He runs yes. the 76. I can't tell you the names of his co-drivers, but I know he's running the yeah. 76 Aston Martin. And he was driving today at Snetterton in the UK as part of the British GT Championship, and he won today again, did he? Did yeah. He? Yeah, okay. it's, it's great. And, wow. and just imagine in a few months when we have ACC, imagine how cool it's going to be to watch live Nicky Team streams when he's driving his own car. Yeah. Oh, yes. It's going to be interesting, though, because uh, I think outside of, say, Project Cars 2, no other main sim racing title has the Aston Martin GT3. No, it doesn't. Uh, I think, yeah, iRacing has the Aston Martin GT1, which is yeah. like uh, half a decade out of date, I think, or yeah. something like that. But ultimately, it's nice to see the Aston Martin GT3 actually coming to a mainstream sim yeah. outside of p cars 2 and this year's version of the vantage is the outgoing one because next year there'll be a new one yeah and it should be included in a set of course of competizione because it's a it's officially part of the series so mike yeah. you wanted to talk about some um recent exciting um youtube videos and actually as a compliment to will will i watched your recent review of iRacing and it was very good i it's one title that i didn't know i know some some something about it but i didn't ha have the overall picture and i watched your your video this morning and it was really good yeah thank you it's kind of interesting because Throughout the years, we have seen some older reviews on iRacing, but I don't think we ever really had one circa 2018 mm. that tried to review the whole thing as a service, like as a full package. Because Inside Sim Racing, they did a few great videos talking about the dirt, but we don't really see anything about looking at it from the full picture. So with iRacing this August being a decade old, I thought, hey, it'd be fitting to do a review of it. Yeah. I, retrospectively, looking at where it came from, where it is now, where it's going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah, it was a great video. It was a great video. Um, and there's been you guys some talk. See... Go sorry, ahead, Mike, go, go ahead, ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, we were talking about um, last week, we talked about Assetto Corsa Competizione, and will it be some stiff competition for iRacing? And indeed, Game of Muscle recently had a video. It was sort of clickbaity, but he said that, is this the end for iRacing or competition for iRacing? And it's a title I've been following for a while through ISR back in the day. And now, of course, your video will. And they've added the Rallycross and they've added the Dirt Racing, which Billy Strange had assisted them in testing so it seems to be growing all the time and then they recently added um the lmp1 cars where the hybrid technology was was 
really heavily implemented and um, empty box had done some detailed videos on that and then they're adding the Porsche and then the Porsche 911 RSR is coming and it's something that uh, Jimmy Broadbent has has been streaming a lot and then as you mentioned today Will in your video there seems to be some AI technology coming so it's an interesting title to watch apart from the cost base and the subscription that being another thing but they have been busy adding different formats and different features so it's definitely earlier we were talking about like what are, what are we excited about for the rest of this year 2018 and iRacing seems seems to be a title to watch yeah and and it's interesting because on that topic of will ACC overthrow iRacing and mm -hmm. the tough part with that is ACC is largely just going to tackle one discipline as far as we know. It's only going to tackle GT3 racing. And the thing that iRacing draws so many people in because is it's the all-in-one solution. It's that all-in-one element where you have uh, NASCAR fans being appeased you have road racing fans, you have Formula One fans enjoying it, you have uh, classic racing fans somewhat enjoying it, mm -hmm. like even though the turnouts for those series tend to be rather limited, but you really have almost anything you could want, like apart from maybe like rally. Uh, but with ACC, I can't see it overthrowing iRacing unless they diversify or allow modding. That's one mm -hmm. of the things because uh, with ACC, you can't just thrive on one discipline. Sure, there are so many technological advancements. We're finally getting day to night transition. We're finally getting weather. We're finally getting those elements in a uh, title with the Assetto course of branding. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, what's the point if we're only going to be enjoying GT3 from it? Yeah, right. And we, we talked with Billy Strange last week um, about that exact topic. And we had sort of agreed that it would be amazing if they could implement possibly, you know, a GT4 series or start to get into the LMP series or things like that as DLC. And I, I think that's possibly a direction they could go. But um, I, 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 to to some extent, I, I see what you're saying, Will. But at the same time, I like what they're doing with focusing in on one racing series and trying to make it perfect. Um, because I think they have a good base. I think Assetto Corsa is a very good jumping off point for them. And, um, you know, the, the physics are good. The sounds are good. The visuals are good. And you, you know, dial that in a bit specify it to a specific racing discipline and i think it could be really great it, it goes sort of along the same lines as the f1 series by codemasters like mm -hmm. um there's there's no better f1 career i don't think in sim racing than f1 2017 and you know f1 2018 kind of promises more of the same but at the same time not many you know people who really enjoy the physics and the force feedback of sim racing will say that f1 2017 is kind of on par with the r factor twos or the automobilistas or anything like that but if you had that level of you know focus like the f1 series um but with great physics like if you combine that with the acetyl course of physics 
I think you'd have something there. So I think that's probably what Kunos is going for with the uh, ACC. So I'm definitely expecting big things, but I'm, I'm with you. I think they can't ride the GT3 train into the sunset. I think they need to, you know, shortly after release, start thinking about future DLC packs. Mm. And iRacing doesn't support mods. And the, as far as we know, this Assetto Corsa Competizione won't support mods. And obviously as part of the deal with SRO, it won't, it won't be allowed. So one would assume that as they go forward, if they do make it a platform for other series, it will only be from officially licensed content and not a series of mods to expand the title. Yeah, I read somewhere, and I can't remember where I read this, but uh, the developers behind Kunos, they haven't closed the door on on modding. They haven't said it's going to be impossible. They're just not going out of their way to accommodate it. And as as Billy Strange pointed to last week, that's probably a good thing because if you have this whole platform based around GT3 physics, trying to, you know, after the fact, add an F1 car to that would probably be a mess. So, yeah, keep it official. Do it race room style. Keep everything official. And will um, the additions of day and night transitions in iRacing, are they going to be using DirectX 11 or DirectX 12 or how are they going to engineer it? I believe a couple of years ago, they migrated to DirectX 11. Uh, I think it was like three years ago or so. So they already migrated to DirectX 11. It's more of a total backend overhaul, I think, of the system. Because yeah. if I remember correctly, iRacing, that for the longest time, they were using static skyboxes. So you didn't see clouds move or anything. Uh, yeah. And... I don't recall off the top of my head if they still move now, but from what I've been hearing, iRacing, they're adopting that mentality. Like we want to do it right. So I think they're wanting to simulate things like the volumetric clouds and how cloud cover can affect the track. So yep. it's not just uh, seeing the track get darker. Mm-hmm. It's also seeing the track get cooler as it goes into night. So with that, they are looking to really uh, implement and simulate the day-to-night transition. Mm. So we'll see how that works, and I'm hoping for the best. Yeah. So, Mike and Alex, Mike and Alex, have you tried iRacing, or do you follow it? I mean, I kind of lurk in the background, so to speak. I keep up to date with what's happening, but have you guys tried it? Mike, you have, haven't you? I have it. Yep. The problem mm. is um, being a guy with a career, a wife, and a little one at home, my sim racing time is very, very limited. I generally race in 30 to 45-minute uh, chunks, so mm. I can't even commit to a rookie race. Like, a oh. rookie race typically will take about an hour. By the time, you know, you find a lobby, or, or sorry, find a race that's starting soon, you might have to wait 10 minutes in practice, then yeah. do your qualifying, then do your race. It chews mm. up an hour pretty quickly, and mm. that generally gets to the outside edges of what I allow myself yep. for gaming. Um, so I haven't, I'm still stuck on rookie. I don't race that often. I enjoy the heck out of it when I do it, but mm. uh, I just don't get enough time to really develop my career unfortunately um yeah so that's kind of been my experience with iRacing but again I I really love it the VR is incredible it it really is it's it's arguably the best VR experience you can have in sim racing and uh the the 
car physics are phenomenal. They really are. So I enjoy it. I just don't have the time. That's oh. that's the long and short of it. And how about you, Alex? Have you ever tried it? Uh, yes, I have tried it. Um, I was driving it a lot when it first came out the first year or two, I would say, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because it was from the same developer who made uh, Grand Prix Legends. And of course, that was kind of the holy grail of sim racing back in the day in the late 90s, I would say. And so I was really very interested in it. And um, I kind of didn't stick with it. Um, I'm not really sure why. Uh, at the time, I generally I had the same time issue that when I wanted to just go for a quick race, uh, that is something that's not really possible in iRacing, which is a good thing and a bad thing, uh, meaning the races there are a little bit more serious. You have to, um, as Mike said, go to practice, go to qualifying. You have to uh, take a little bit of time out of your day to really focus on that race. And that was not really possible uh, back in the day. So um, I kind of moved over to Assetto Corsa when that came out because I always loved Kunos games, uh, Netcar Pro and Netcar Nami before that. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I was thinking about uh, installing it again and giving it another try, especially since I've never driven it in, in VR. Um, so, uh, yeah, I might want to uh, take another look at iRacing very soon, especially uh, with the updates that Will mentioned coming up soon. Yeah. And then back to Will, I noticed from your video as well, Will, that and Mike has alluded to it, and also Alex, there's there's a big time commitment um, element with iRacing. So could it be so that they're trying to innovate, add, to, add the, to add an AI element, so to allow people to perhaps drop in, drop out, and take a race now and then? So AI is one of the things that we know almost the least about, because... Mm. Uh, or basically, I think what they only confirmed in the forums, the only confirmation about it is that I don't think they are going to be using AI to bolster track uh, our series participation. So, for example, in iRacing, you need to fulfill a certain participation quota in a race. So, yeah. for example, uh, in rookie class races, you need to have a minimum of uh, six participants for the race to be deemed official. And then for higher up series, you need a minimum of eight drivers or else the race becomes unofficial. So they're not, so they're saying it's not going to be something where it's like, if there's six drivers, they're not going to add in two AI to make it official, which I think is a good thing because you don't want a race where you're taken out by AI to affect your rating. Mm. So, I'm going to assume that it's going to be to create a pickup and race like environment, which that's its own entire can of worms because you have to actually configure an event and then build AI and put it in. Mm. But I think that it will be a good element, but I think, I think the issue is it might come off a little gimmicky in some ways with the way iRacing's structure is because iRacing, as I mentioned in my review, it thrives on a structured system. Mm -hmm. So I don't see it really being in a way where your AI races would affect your, like, 
participation towards a license for motion. So I don't think it's going to be something where an AI race will help you jump up from, say, rookie to class D or higher up. Mm. Uh, I think iRacing's main business model where only online races will allow you to get promoted. That, I think, is going to be something there. So uh, it's going to be tricky, though. And uh, it's not going to be conventional AI, I don't think, because that conflicts with iRacing's business model. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. Yeah. And I guess... Sorry, Will. What did you mean by conventional AI? Or conventional AI as in, like... uh, set up a standard race or something and uh i don't mean conventional ai as in like the way they behave on track i mean conventional ai implementation such as like the set up a quick pickup and play event because realistically with iRacing it's going to be one of the most expensive options out there it already is but consider for example for the gt3 race i think it'll be something where you're going to have to own all the content possibly. Uh, so ah, that's that, true. Yeah. So it's kind of weird though, because for iRacing, the way they structure it is you, if you own one car in the series, yep. you can race in that series and it'll just download all the other cars in the background. You just can't drive it. I don't know if it's going to be that same way in AI events. Uh, it'll, I, I feel it should, but I don't know how it's uh, going to work out. I'm not part of that studio. Yeah. I don't have any insider knowledge about it, but ultimately it's like, I don't know how it's going to be, but I could see them saying like, you have to own each car that you run in, mm-hmm. but are not running, but have in an AI race, but I'd be pleased if it's the other way, uh, but yeah, it's going to be interesting because still, for example, uh, if you want to race in the NASCAR series, you're going to have to buy the latest cup car. You're going to have to buy the track you want to run on. So it's going to be difficult, uh, especially if you wanted to, say, simulate a virtual championship and, uh, for example, run the McLaren MP430. Uh, you're going to need to buy each track. You're going to have to buy... Uh, Mm. Silverstone, which unfortunately is still the out-of-date version. You're going to have to buy uh, uh, what other F1 tracks are there? You're going to have to buy Imola, even Mm. or that's an older track as well. You're going to have to buy Monza. You're going to have to buy each track you want to run on. And AI promotes a very pick-up-and-play style. Mm. But iRacing is sort of in some ways, the anti-pickup and play. Mm. My assumption so, would be that the, the invariably what they want to do is increase their player base, their user base, and perhaps the fact that GT3 is so popular, if um, a set of course, a competition is, is, runs well, has day and night transitions and weather, and you can you can drive offline, and if the AI are competitive, then it it would definitely be a competitor. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how it turns out. Yeah. Yes, it will. Yeah. Now, so Mike yeah. had 
another topic he wanted to discuss, and this is quite interesting. Um, VR versus single screen versus triple screens. So, Mike, would you like yeah, to lead with that, please? Yeah, sure. And I'd be curious to get, uh, you know, as many takes as, as we want to get here. How much... Whoever wants to weigh in can weigh in. Um, obviously, Alex, you're very passionate about your VR. Um, yep. Will, uh, I, I can't recall. I think you usually, especially for the purposes of streaming, I think you like, you know, running a, a conventional monitor. What are your feelings kind of on uh, VR versus triples versus single screen? Um, and like, perhaps maybe I can phrase this question best. What would you recommend for somebody new to sim racing, perhaps? So VR definitely, I think, is one of the best ways to experience sim racing. Uh, it is the immersion factor. It is It throws you into the experience in a way you just simply can't get with monitors. Uh, it is definitely early tech. It is uh, it's still something that needs to be refined, but it is something that is, like, once you really try it, it's something that it's... A, it's a treat. And then, uh, yeah, for streaming and stuff, I really do prefer the convenience of a monitor. So generally when I'm doing a live stream, I have the game on the middle screen. I have my OBS broadcaster and chat on the right screen. And then I have my uh, YouTube page on the left screen for managing the stream and stuff. So that, like the convenience of monitors and the triple screen layout for streaming and also video editing and different uh production elements is really second to none uh and that's something that until vr is more developed and is at a higher resolution higher fidelity i can't see vr for productivity reasons replacing monitors yet but no, I... for racing and gaming it is one of the best experiences you can get. Hmm. Al Alex, do you ever run single monitor anymore? Um, barely. Um, I can wholeheartedly agree with Will uh, with everything he said. Actually, VR in its current state is still not quite there yet, and I am not even sure if the second gen, gen uh, VR headsets will be able to replace monitors uh, as a whole. We will probably need a few more iterations after that, but. Um, the feeling of actually sitting in a life-sized cockpit uh, cannot be beaten. Um, there are drawbacks to the low resolution, but I think what we have right now is just barely good enough so you can use it online, you can you can see other cars in the distance, um, you can make out your breaking points and all that kind of stuff. Um, it could be better, but um, yeah, it's it's... It's barely good enough, but not a, not good enough uh, for really wide adaptation of the no. gaming market. But no. um, yeah, when I do race in 2D mode, so to speak, just on a screen, um, it now it feels pretty weird. It um, it's hard to describe. Now it actually feels like I'm driving a car that's on the screen, but I'm not sitting. I'm not, I do not have the feeling that I'm driving. Or that I'm sitting in, it's, it's hard to describe. <laughs> I have to adapt to it. Um, that's uh, basically what I wanted to say. Um, I have to readapt to driving into D a little bit, um, kind of get my, my head in there. But um, yeah, I love VR. I've been a big um, 
uh, a big fan of VR ever since the concept first uh, came up back in the 90s even. Um, but um, I'm, I'm, I will be the first to acknowledge uh, that there still are downsides uh, to the current gen headsets. And I am hoping, fingers crossed, um, that we will see a true second gen headset maybe next year sometime on the market. But um, yeah, we and, will see. And for now, sorry, Alex, the Vive Pro is not it. Or so I. Yeah, I I thought about getting the Vive Pro as an upgrade to the Rift, but uh, I read it's a lot of user it. reviews yeah. first, and they were surprisingly mixed actually in terms of the uh, noticeable increase of in real in resolution in comparison to the standard Vive and especially to the Rift, yeah. um, which have the same resolution, but for some reason the optics in the Rift make the picture seem a little bit sharper. So mm. um, the difference between the Vive Pro and the rift is not big enough to warrant the uh, the investment, which is yes. substantial. Yeah. Um, so I I was quite kind of excited for a while there when the Vive Pro was announced. I was yes, thank you, more resolution. We need that. But mm. um, and on paper, it it seemed su- uh, surprisingly uh, good actually for kind of a one point one point five gen headset, but. Um, in terms of the increased re- resolution, I read something about 70% increase in resolution or pixels per inch, I believe it was. Yep. But uh, yeah, the reviews kind of turned me off. And then, of course, the price. I can't justify that, especially no, when not right now. Uh, p- potentially the Rift 2 is just 12 months out, maybe maybe more. But uh, yeah, no, um, Vive Pro... If if I would have to get a completely new headset at this point in time, I probably still would go with the Rift because of the price difference. Mm. It's just very hard to justify a thousand bucks for that. Yeah. So a question yeah. to all three of you, if I may, because I don't have a headset, and hence the this is why I call the show Sim Racing Perspectives because I I wanted to get the view of. From every angle so I don't have VR and the one thing I've noticed is that the benefit in VR is for mainly for the person who's wearing the VR and from the purpose mm-hmm. of creating videos I've noticed that if you don't have a really beefy computer the replay that you see on the screen including in the video can be quite low res so is there a trade-off because I noticed like some people starting with VR and then the, the footage will be very shaky and it's improved over time. But I can I can take it or leave it, but invariably, and we've gone from 1080p now to, to 4K. So my assumption right now is based on the current technology that if you don't have a really beefy computer, there's no real point in making videos with VR or am I wrong? No, it definitely takes some pretty hardcore um, hardware to run it for sure. I, mm. I saw somebody on Reddit yesterday had posted that they run a 970 and get 120 frames a second or something and really? in a set of course. And that seemed way, way high. Like mm. I run a 1080 and I don't get those numbers on, on high settings by any means. Yeah. So I think, um, I think their recommended minimum is a 970 video card, but I think for the most part, people are running a 1060 or better. Or a 1070. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I think, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's kind of the accepted minimum at yep. this stage. And yep. um, yeah, those are the prices are finally, finally starting to fall down. I saw mm -hmm. a 1080 Ti the other day advertised somewhere online for 550 US or something, okay. which is incredible. Which is yeah. absolutely incredible because six yeah. months ago that was almost twice that price. And that was so, new, Mike. I'm sorry. That was a new unit, not used. Yeah, no, oh, that really? was a new 1080 Ti. Okay. I couldn't believe it. I, okay. I suspect it's one of those deals that you know, as soon as it's announced, um, either bots or some people that happen to be checking the website at that time scoop yeah. up the first 50 units, and then everybody else gets a sorry out yeah. of stock notice. Yeah. But it's just good to know that it's possible now, because like I say, six months ago, it didn't look like it was going to get better for a very, very long time. Yeah. And that is, you know, in addition to this, this. $500 headset that you need for VR, you yeah. also need probably $500 plus in video hardware. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It really adds up. Yeah. And yeah, as a, uh, go ahead. I, go ahead for Luke. me, when I first bought my Oculus Rift, I mm -hmm. was running a GTX 970 and uh, it worked okay for most situations, but ultimately I realized this ain't going to cut it. So, I ended up uh, biting the bullet and bought a 1080, and yeah. it still can struggle at times under certain conditions. But yeah, it definitely is like a, a huge jump in that sort of quality. And as you were mentioning, there is the element where you like are calling it almost low res in some ways, and mm -hmm. in reality, it is uh, when you're watching the video footage. Because, for example, if you think about it, the Oculus Rift and other VR headsets, they have two displays, one for each eye, which yep. is able to simulate the full 3D effect. Yep. And I want to say the, uh, the each display is like 960 by 1080. Yep. So it's, yeah, it's literally half a display. So what happens is... It's that half a display, and I think it's sort of upscaled to 1080 uh, via the monitor, yeah, like via reprojection. So it has that, and yeah, so you're only like when you're watching the video, you're only seeing half of what's going on. Uh, you're usually just seeing the left eye, yeah, uh, which is why for VR videos you'll notice it's a little bit offset. And then you're saying sometimes it gets very shaky. Yeah. Uh, one example that comes to mind is Jimmy Broadman's videos. And part of that is because he's talking while driving with a VR headset. Mm. When you talk while wearing the VR headset, your uh, jaw muscles, your cheekbone and muscles, those are moving and that's shaking the headset. So, for example, I do admittedly have some VR videos where I'm not talking in it. And when you see me not talking while doing VR... Uh, you'll notice the head movements are a lot smoother. You'll notice it's a lot less shaky. So mm -hmm. it's it's interesting while being the presenter and with VR video, you have to find that balance. You have to find like that balance of what is engaging, what is fun versus what is watchable. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I would like to add about the shakiness of the video, uh, because I had the exact same issue uh, many times in the beginning. And uh, one thing that I do now to 
cure that to a degree is uh, I stabilize the image uh, in the video editor afterwards, uh, which works surprisingly well. Um, so, uh, because as you said, when you're talking and driving at the same time, every tiny little head movement um, is transferred to the um, to the picture, and that can be very irritating to watch after a while. So, I tried a lot of things, and uh, the solution that I came up with was to just um, kind of fix that in post processing, so to speak, and okay. that kind of works pretty pretty well. Mm. And Interesting. Uh, a question for all three of you, because you have a reasonably reasonable amount of subscribers to your channels. In terms of the content you're creating and the comments and feedback you're getting from your your user your your viewers, shall I say, uh, do people want more VR? Do they complain of the quality? What's the feedback been? Well. Um, I'll, I'll leave this one because I asked that exact question. I did a poll, I think it was in February, I did a, a sim racing poll and I, every video I used to post in VR, I used to see comments, you know, too shaky, you make me want to puke, blah, blah, blah. And so I was thinking, okay, people hate my VR videos. So I deliberately stuck that question into my poll and I said, you know, how do you feel about watching videos in VR? And it was overwhelmingly positive. People did actually enjoy watching videos in VR. It's just those who don't are a very vocal minority. <laughs> so I was yeah, so glad I asked that question because I was almost ready to give up on creating content in VR. But I think most people do enjoy it. Um, and I, I think it probably um, relates somewhat to when you see old school, like let's say early 90s f1 videos maybe it's you know ayrton senna ripping around monaco or something and they've got that helmet cam and it's super bouncy and you can see him mm. you know turning towards the corner apexes and things like that it is awesome it is really really awesome because you feel like yeah. you know you're it from his perspective you feel like you're right in that driver's perspective and uh it doesn't translate as well of course to sim racing vr not even close actually but um i think it is that sort of immersion taking our viewers into that you know into the cockpit um so i think overall people do enjoy it but uh those who don't like it really hate it mm. <laughs> yeah it's uh it's interesting because I've had similar elements where, uh, for example, I think especially at first when VR videos were first coming out, people weren't really used to it. So it's interesting because, yeah, it's adopting a new format. It's adopting a new style for these videos and people weren't used to it. But then give it time, people get used to it and they get more comfortable with it. Uh, somewhat accept that it's going to exist out there and then they start to enjoy it and it's funny because I had that situation at first as well where with VR they start like saying like hey uh, it's a little too shaky it's making me uncomfortable etc and then uh, a strange phenomenon started happening where when I was doing videos and stuff with a single monitor when I was streaming with a single monitor I keep on getting questions from people saying, did you stop doing VR? Why did you stop doing VR? VR was fun. Why are you oh, really? not doing it anymore? Mm. And I'm like, well, it's a lot more convenient with a single monitor. It's a lot easier to just stream with a single monitor. It's a lot less taxing on a system. I, mm. I've tried maybe three streams with VR and actually 
because I can't keep that stable 90 frames per second while streaming, I, I end up getting a little nauseous because of it. But that's just the way it really works. That's just the way that it ended up being. So for streaming, I'll stick with a single screen yeah. and maybe triple sometime. But yeah. for VR, uh, I find it more enjoyable just driving and maybe recording the footage on top of that with shadow play or something. Mm. And Will, you mentioned you have a three, three screen setup. You have OBS on the left, your gameplay in the center and your YouTube stream on the right. So obviously you can't manage that if you have a headset on. Exactly. And mm. that's one of the tricky things because uh, the Oculus Rift is great. I, I think really also with the software implementation and the drivers, it works the best because the HTC Vive, I've used a little bit of time on it, not in a sim racing application, but uh, the HTC Vive, uh, it runs on the open VR protocol, the Steam VR protocol mm. uh, slash open VR. And it works well. But at the same time, I don't think it's as good as native Rift support. Uh, and the nice or the blessing and the curse with the Rift software support is it's a closed ecosystem. Yeah. So uh, with that, you have uh, no ability to do an overlay in VR. So there is an application in Steam called OVR Drop. And it allows you to basically like drop a window into the rift or into the VR headsets display. So theoretically, you could have the chat window in a stream. That mm -hmm. doesn't work with native VR support. It does work with open VR, and that ends up. Uh, but also, the open VR protocol comes at the expense or at the expense of cost. Yeah, or and not cost, but uh, system yeah. resources. Yeah. yeah. Now, as a final question to all three of you, we're running an hour and 20 minutes. Um, what's the maximum you've been able to stay with a VR headset on before you, let's say, become too sweaty or nauseous? Or what's the maximum amount of, amount of time you've been under a VR headset and actually been comfortable? Or is I that don't a think question? I've ever hit my limit time-wise. Um, yeah, it's it's just that incredible immersion. So uh, the anytime I've done like a mini endurance race, an hour or two hours, I don't feel any nausea. Usually that's just if I'm like if I spin or something like that, I'll get nauseous. But um, that's usually not too much of a factor. But it does definitely get hot. Like I notice if I do run an hour or two and take mm. off the headset, like I'm sweating. And mm. um, it's funny to get that experience from a video game. But uh, okay. the, the headset definitely does heat up um, after a while. But I don't think I've actually hit my upper limit on time. But other than the fact that it gets hot, you, you can actually be under there, shall I say, for an hour or two. Is it so? Yeah, I haven't really? had any uh, adverse effects outside yeah. of that. Yeah. How about you, Will? Uh, I I sort of agree. I don't think I've ever really hit my limit. Uh, I want to say the longest I might have ever really done was uh, two and a half, three hours when I was simulating a, a GT3 race in R-Factor 2. Yeah. And that was a fun experience, but it definitely does get sweaty. I actually, I have a fan that I'll uh, blow on my face to help try to 
like cool off and not sweat as much, mm. but it definitely gets sweaty, especially uh, a couple of years ago. I tried the uh, CXC Simulations Motion Pro rig, yep. and I tried that with VR. And uh, basically, with the VR, like with the direct drive wheel, high end pedals, and motion, you get sweaty fast. For example, mm. uh, I. A lap and a half into the Nurburgring, uh, I was already getting sweaty, and also it's fogging up the, my eyes. Mm. So that's one of the struggles too. Where if it gets a little too like humid, like sweaty, it you can actually fog up. And okay. uh, I got to a point where I wasn't really able to see well out of my left eye, oh, okay. and that's one reason why I do the fan. The fan really does help with that. Mm. but it's not perfect but it's going to be interesting i actually i was approached by this company called vr cover mm. and they sent me a couple replacement foam pieces for the oculus rift so i'm gonna test those out later on and uh, replace those on my rift and see if that might help a bit yep how about you alex um, yeah, I think I um, had my limit somewhere around two hours or two and a half hours as yep. well. Um, it does get pretty sweaty depending on what you do. Um, I played uh, a bit of the uh, Star Trek, what was it called, Bridge Crew, bridge crew game, uh, where you just sit on a yes. terminal and you move your hands around. And um, I can do that for a long time. But when sim racing, especially with a direct drive wheel, um, after about half an hour or so, I start to get sweaty a little bit and I do have some fans pointed at my face as well. Mm. Um, but still it is, uh, the headset itself, the front unit, the, the displays, I guess, uh, get warm after a while and mm. you can really feel that on your face. So I'm hoping for that to improve with, uh, the new headsets uh, yeah. that will eventually come out uh, sometime but yeah. uh, I can do this comfortably even when racing for about an hour and then uh, I gotta take a break um, at, at some point yeah and if you guys were were working on a standard 2d screen how long would you be able to go or is that a silly question <laughs> um until concentration runs out yeah, uh, which can asleep. take yeah <laughs> so we'll, we'll uh, uh, go ahead yeah i think my record is about 12 and a half hours really whoa that's long so uh yeah back before project cars 2 came out i did a live stream where my challenge was to try driving every car and track comp or every <laughs> car and track so mm. that is my record live stream and i want to say that was like 11 and a half hours and <laughs> then on top of that and believe it or not 11 and a half hours only two restroom breaks and wow i uh yeah i ended up i also add in about a half hour a bit to get everything set up but yeah that's i'd say my record wow unreal that might be the record actually Actually, Jimmy, so too. Uh, uh, no, actually, uh, Ian Plash, RAR Chevette, he did the 24 hours of Daytona single-handed. Wow. On his own. What? Uh, and then also, I think Gamer Muscle's done some 12-plus hour streams. Yeah. 
he does some very long streams i noticed like five or six hours yeah yeah i noticed like the other day like yeah. he's doing that welcome insert country here stream and yeah i was yeah. like whoa like are you kidding me i yeah i go to bed and then i wake up he's still streaming he's still I'm like, going yeah i know mm. yeah. yeah he doesn't sleep yeah. <laughs> i think he has he problems actually sleeping he's talked about it too much twinings tea i think <laughs> so we'll wrap up um now we've we've gone uh an hour and a half and will it's been really excellent uh yeah thank you, you for having about, me you're more than welcome it's been really excellent hearing your ideas and clearly your passion for um sim racing and mike thank you so much for organizing will will we'd like to have you back i definitely accept that yeah we want to talk about there's a hardware topic we have booked and um We'd like to get you back. So, um, Will, I'll include links to your... Anybody listening to this will know who you are, naturally, of course, but I'll include links to your channel and your social media below in the video description. Is there anything uh, on your channel coming up that you'd like to talk about? Uh, anything coming up? Um, I do, like, since we've been talking about the topic of VR... I'm working on a video where I want to talk about what Sims provide the best virtual reality experience and what is like the most rewarding to drive in VR. So that should be an exciting video. Yeah, that'll be quite a lot of time to make. How long did it take you to make the iRacing video? You seem to, you spend a lot of time on that, I, I expect. Uh, building the iRacing review video, I want to say likely put about nine ten hours into it mm. uh yeah because uh the original voiceover for that review is 40 minutes yeah and then you have to go over that 40 minutes uh, all over with a fine-tooth cone to like fine-tune everything get I the yep. uh, tone pacing right crop yeah. out the bad stuff and then uh it came down to about 23 minutes mm -hmm. and then you have to listen to the 23 minutes again, make sure you didn't make any mistakes. Uh, yeah. And then you have to build the review itself, which would be another couple hours. Yeah. Uh, and then watch over that again and make sure there's no mistakes. And actually after my first export, I noticed I made a mistake in my uh, next rewatch. Mm. So I had to I fixed that re-export. So yeah, I'd say about 10 to 12 hours yeah. of work in that video. I made a joke with um, Billy Strange on Twitter. That I noted how earlier I've, I've been listening to podcasts for a long time. And sometimes you listen to a podcast and it's really good and you're interested in it and you hope it won't end. And the previous episode, I course i listened to it about 10 times while editing it and then via the rss feed it got added to my phone and i was listening to it and sitting there going hoping it, it wouldn't end <laughs> which, which of course is, is completely ironic but the thought crossed my mind so um well i'll i'll um include links to your channel and social media of course below in the description and we we would request anybody listening to add some comments or, or topic suggestions below in the, in the comment section below the video. And also, if you like this content, you like the podcast and want to continue listening, 
please remember to like and subscribe and also um, hit that bell icon which seems to be an issue right now because it seems that even if you hit the bell icon you may not necessarily still get the episodes in your subscription feed so what we've also made available is this podcast is also available on iTunes and if you're listening on iTunes we'd ask that you also add a rating and review and one of the options or one of the benefits actually of subscribing also on iTunes is that if you miss the episode appearing through YouTube you can always know that it'll be available through iTunes we're also available on Google Play which right now is regional limited mostly available in the US so we're available on iTunes Google Play Stitcher Radio and also we have an RSS feed if you would like to um, add the podcast manually to either a podcasting app on your computer or on your smartphone so any final points from you guys Uh, Alex Mike anything you want to talk about coming up on your channel and then we'll wrap up uh nothing big um i will be building a flight rig for a change which has nothing to do with sim racing per se but uh that will be coming up uh, this week and i'm really looking forward to that one yeah and mike yeah uh, just kind of business as usual. Um, I was going to do some oval racing. We got the Indianapolis 500 race coming up in just a few hours in real life, and I was going to do it in Project Cars 2. Mm. But uh, it looks like every channel that's ever existed has kind of done that better than I could. So I might skip that one. But uh, yeah, I've got a few uh, interesting videos in the can. So yeah, should be a week. Okay. Uh, and Will, oh, please sorry. go ahead. Go ahead, I just want to thank you guys for having me again. And yeah, also one review that I definitely need to get back into doing is and building is uh, the GT Omega art cockpit. So that should be coming soon. Okay. Awesome. And Will, thank you again for joining. It's been an absolute pleasure. And we'd, we'd like to have you back because there's more knowledge you have that we'd like to discuss more. So until next time, thank you and bye-bye.